This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Progressive Insurance protects people's cars, homes, and other vehicles. But if you've ever seen our commercials or even just heard our name, you probably already knew that. What you may not know is that we support Humble Design, a nonprofit that furnishes homes for families and veterans emerging from homelessness. Because a little help goes a long way. And a lot of help. Well, you get the idea. Now, if you already knew all of this about Progressive Insurance, we're impressed. We'll have to find something else cool to tell you next time. Find out more about how we're dedicated to our customers and communities at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on The Blue Room. Uh, I am your co-host, Rob Vera, joined by my other co-host, Mark Mosey. Um, This week, we are joined by a third, the overly handsome Adam Sutton, who just pointed out to me, uh, he, he really got me with a gotcha right at the beginning before we hit record and pointed out that for that I was not following him on Twitter, despite the fact that we've known each other for a few years now. I mean, I, I feel really bad about that, but I, I guess I don't even know. I don't even keep track of who I follow half the time. And now I feel like I've big timed you. Uh, and I think you've accused me of basically being some sort of fame monster or something like that who doesn't follow his friends or, you know, back on Twitter. So, uh, if you need to vent about that right now, Adam, please, please get that, get that out of your system now. Yeah. It's just, well, the amount of times that I've, I've been messaging you trying to get onto the kick about, and obviously you don't <laughs> messages because you don't follow me back. So thankfully Mark dropped me a, dropped me a text yesterday and, finally got a chance to come on for, for just the second time so hopefully <laughs> next time i tweet you or, or direct message you will see no rob thanks yeah mark you know, he's been on you. he's been on before he's been on like a month he was on like a month ago and he's talking as if as if he never gets access to this thing that's great but well, maybe we would have had him on two weeks later if, if i knew that it, to, to be honest if i knew that there was this much resting level of tension between the two of you i probably wouldn't have set all of this up um i i mean adam before we go on are you are you okay to carry on with this pod because you know <laughs> i i don't want to put you through emotional turmoil and do you know what? I'm, as a keen follower of f1 i i see people make amazing excuses for lapses and poor decisions um rob's already started with some of them as to 
as to why he totally disrespects and dislikes you. But I just want to know that you are welcome here. Uh, I want to make you feel comfortable. Um, if you want to just directly speak to me and not to Rob, I will relay anything relevant that you have to say about Everton to him after the show. Um, but yeah, you are, you are not alone, Adam. Thanks, thanks, mate. It, thankfully, he's turned his camera off because I think he'd probably be giving me some form of devil's stare now. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable being here, and yeah, it's just a light-hearted joke. Uh, hopefully, you've taken it in that way, Rob. But it's even worse when you go, "Oh, I followed you now," which uh, <laughs> makes you feel so much. Better. Feels so, like an so empty, empty, empty gesture now, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> If I've been missing oh. all of the Adam Sutton gold on Twitter, if I've been missing all that stuff, it's probably just, <laughs> I can't wait though. Now that I know that I'm following you, it's probably just going to be lots of, of gifs of Adam, like running his fingers through his gorgeous hair and, you know, <laughs> uh, putting his sunglasses on, you know, it was like, Oh, do I want them on my face? Do I want them on my hair right now. What looks better? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Look, guys, if you if you follow me on Twitter, you know you know that for the most part, I'm I'm just pro- I'm I'm really promoting uh, Blue Room, uh, and I'm talking about Everton, and I'm talking about my radio show, and uh, I'm trying to avoid weird, creepy Twitter street fights with uh, in the you know ITKs who think that they. Uh, have a weird cult following, which maybe they do. I don't know, um, but you know, I, I I don't mean to I don't mean to ruffle any feathers, uh, but I, I can assure you, as someone who is probably not even in the top twenty of American Everton, uh, you know, Twitter follows out there, I don't think you should feel too too hurt, um, you know, by that, Adam. It's it's really just an oversight more than anything else. I'll I'll try to be better at this whole Twitter thing moving forward. <laughs> um, <laughs> so before we get into it, into the it, um, I got to do the, the big disclaimer that, uh, Matt did on a transfer pod yesterday with me. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. Um, I'm sure we were at least 90% accurate on the things we were talking about yesterday. So it's pretty good for us. Um, and, um, I'm going to go ahead and just, uh, do this weird thing that I, I don't know that I was ever prepared to do because the spirit of the kickabout is that we really will talk about anything. Uh, but right now there is a big elephant in the room. There's a thing and a person and a situation that we, li- we literally cannot talk about right now. Um, I had people asking me, uh, a few days ago, uh, whether or not Mark and I were going to have a chance to really get deep into this. <laughs> I mean, believe me, there will, there will come a time. Um, uh, and I can assure you, let, let me put it this way without saying referencing specifically names or particular actions, I can assure you there will come a time where, uh, once the green light has, has, uh, has lit, we will certainly get into it and we will talk about it and we will process it and we'll do all those things. But, uh, I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, even better, uh, just know that there's something we can't talk about and, uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, all right. We've got plenty to cover today. And as I put out on Twitter earlier, guys, I, I have, you know, a lot of times I come to these conversations and I have a very, 
I have a lot of like pent up uh, Everton rage that I need to get out or emotion or whatever excitement. Usually it's not excitement. It's disappointment, but there's usually something to rant and rave about. But right now I have to admit, I have an equal amount of that for my odyssey over the last couple of weeks, making it through the fast and furious films. Um, I don't know whether Adam or Mark have ever seen any fast and furious films. It really doesn't matter because they're going to have to listen to me, uh, you know, talk about it anyway. But uh, that'll come up later on. Uh, don't get too excited about it. If you want to start, you know, Googling a Wikipedia article on Fast and Furious just so you can feel uh, a little prepared while we're talking about Everton, that will not offend me at all. Um, so, yeah. Um, Adam, I'm going to start with you. So there's uh, it's been a been a kind of slow week for Everton, hasn't it? Uh <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot going on, and luckily, uh, the the thing we can't talk about is not the only thing going on. There's there have been transfers. There are there is a uh, there's been a link to a somewhat significant potential signing in the form of uh, Dwight McNeil from Burnley. Uh, the, 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 the team is headed, uh, is flying over to America right now. And whilst they were on the flight to America, I believe, uh, another team, in addition to Arsenal, this time, uh, Inter has pulled out. So this four team, uh, mega tournament is now, uh, a two team, uh, mega tournament. And, uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's safe to say it's coming home guys. Uh, if we can't beat, if we can't beat, uh, if we can't win a trophy against this uh, half-assed Colombian club, uh, then then we really are truly in trouble. Uh, Adam, of all of the random news items that have come out in the last few days, what has got your attention as it pertains to Everton at the moment? Um, it's probably the equestrian skills of our new um, backup goalkeeper's wife, um, which is probably <laughs> out of absolutely everything somehow become the biggest um, or most well-taken story in, a, in the Everton sphere this week. I think, um, thankfully for a couple of, well, for, for another story, there has been a lot going on. Um, so I think from my point of view, just touching on maybe the, the transfers in general, if how we see this plan now and, and how hopefully Rafa Benitez is planning this himself alongside his colleagues, is that we're getting three players in here. I know Damari Gray isn't officially confirmed, but I imagine he's very close to being so. Um, three players here who are natural, uh, well, the, the two outfield, the wingers, are a natural pace, you could say, for cheap um, on short-term contracts along, alongside Asmir Begovic. Um, which is is filling a squad which was very much down to its bare bones for most of, of last season. And hopefully, on the other hand, are, are getting rid of some big earners who have flattered to deceive, to say the least, for a number of seasons now. And in my opinion, I think it's really shrewd business, actually. And amongst, you know, some you know, fantastic ways of announcing it, such as Asmir Begovic's wife has done, uh, <laughs> I thought Andros Townsend was... Was really was fantastic actually in his first interview listening to him um, I know that Matt Jones won't like me saying that he spoke very well uh, but he did speak very well actually and it was just coming across as a player who has worked with under, worked under Benitez before um, but then he's also here to prove a point actually he, he's a player that was very much you know he's discarded as any a form of real 
consistency as a Premier League player. But I don't know if you look at some of some of the goals he scored or some of the the chances he's created for Crystal Palace. He's he's got some talent there, and mm-hmm. I think I'd probably probably say Damari Gray's the highlight of of my week, but I can't officially confirm it yet. So yeah, I think it's been a, a mad week with some ups um, and a lot of downs. Yeah, yeah I, um, I, I'm sorry, Mark, before you go ahead, I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure that while we don't have confirmation on Damari Gray, I'd be shocked if he's not on that plane uh, based on the fact that it sounded like there were, uh, <laughs> it sounded like there were, uh, there was a, a medical going on yesterday, though we all know the medical at Everton can last up to, up to three weeks. So I'm not really mm-hmm. sure he may not be on the flight. Maybe he gets on another flight. Uh, Mark, go ahead. I, I, I don't know what's uh, sticking out to you, but I, I will say that the, uh, the equestrian skills, I believe they call it dressage or whatever. I mean, you're you're our Tory sport expert, Mark, so you may have to kind of translate that for me. Um, yeah. You know, that, I, I like how I like how how into it uh, his wife is. You know, uh, that that she cares enough about what her husband's doing to kind of get on board and find a way to support it. Um, my, my wife has really no idea of what this whole Everton podcast bit that I'm doing is is all about. She doesn't support me at all. So I, I always find it really nice when I see, uh, you know, see partners uh, supporting their other partners. Don't don't tempt me in the Tory sport gate, Rob, because I will I will go full golf <laughs> on you after the British Open this week. So please, please do not take me down that road because it is it is a long and rocky ride. Um, yeah, to, to answer the question that you asked Adam in terms of what is sticking out, I think for me at the moment, it's probably just the general theme of turmoil which has surrounded our entire preseason. Um, obviously, we've had a, a player suspended. Um, we've appointed a new manager who was previously a Liverpool manager. Um, we've appointed two new directors to the board. The player's new wife has paraded around a parade ring in a, a hall that was wearing an Everton shirt. Um, the diggers have moved in at Bramley Moor. Our preseason yeah. tour has been absolutely destroyed. Um, quite, quite where the heads of the Everton admin staff are at the moment, I, I can only question. But um, first and foremost, primarily the probably the preseason tour irks me irks me considerably because of of all of the things that have gone on off the pitch, getting this new team under a new manager actually playing football was a real priority for the next fortnight. Um, And it it genuinely looks like we could be spending a lot of time perfecting our Tory sports on the golf course over in America because the the, the, the capacity to play actual football is is diminishing by the day. And I think (laughs) that is the one I would like sorted quite quickly. And I know that's, that's going to be incredibly difficult to, to arrange now, but we, we can't fly seven and a half hours to play against Millionarios and then come home. There, there has to be some form of purpose for the next couple of weeks for Everton. And I think the the caveat to this is that I think a lot of clubs find themselves in, in similar situations from a, a footballing perspective in terms of trying to throw together some form of normal pre-season. Um, obviously, continentally, you look at Inter Milan. Domestically, we've obviously got Arsenal who are in a a similar situation in terms of having poor preparation going into a new season. And we, we, we're probably just about still in the phase where we can say that COVID is affecting everyone. 
uh, and, and probably the first half of this new season, we are going to see massive disruptions from from so many different angles. And I mean, we, we, we said this last season in terms of being an opportunity for a team like Everton or like West Ham, as it turned out, to capitalise on other teams not quite being at their fully prepared best. Um, the, the gauntlet is very much laid down for Everton because we very much failed to seize on that opportunity last season. But hopefully the the one major element of, of the transfer dealings that we've done that pleases me is that we are quite clearly identifying areas of the squad that have either weaknesses in quality or in this case, I would say quantity. Um, clearly, we, we lack wide players. It's, it's the way that most Everton fans, I would say, like Everton to play football, be aggressive, get the ball out wide, get the ball into central strikers like a Calvert-Lewin. Um, I've seen some of the images of what Calvert-Lewin's head is going to look like after 480 crosses of the ball from out wide this season. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm buoyed by the statistics that follow someone like an Andros Townsend around who's got a very high cross success rate, not to mention, as Adam said, seems like a really great guy. Um I, I, w- I would hold fire on that because a lot of Manchester City fans and players told us how great a guy Fabian Delph was, and here we are. Um, someone like Damari Gray, Rob, you mentioned on the transfer show this week that if someone would have offered you the Leicester City Damari Gray, we'd have all absolutely bought into that. Um, I'll be the yeah. first to say that I've not seen a great deal of him since then. But what we need is options and depth. Um, I've, I've seen people online talk about, you know, I get that there's an argument that we are not simply throwing numbers at this thing and that there has to be an element of quality that is going to progress this team forward. But just to just to read a substitutes bench that Everton put out put out towards the end of last season, which yes. read Virginia, Tyra, Iwobi, Unkuku, Broadhead, John, Price and Welsh. I mean, if, yeah. if people this point on the back of that say that Everton don't need someone like Andros Townsend simply for quality in depth and you haven't been watching this team for as long as I have. Um, yeah. what, what, what buoys me about the nature of the position that we're going for is that I think we know that we've got relative strength going through the middle of the pitch. Granted, it's one thing trying to keep all of those people available and fit, but if any, if there was any weaknesses in terms of positions of this squad, clearly right back is something that, through all the noises of the club, we are looking to strengthen. We will probably go out and sign a backup striker, but I think it was imperative for me that we added pace and width. Um, and do you know what? Th- th- these players are not being brought in to light the league up for 30 or 35 games. They are, however, right. being brought in to potentially get you back into six or seven of those games or to get that extra goal on the counter-attack in a few of those games, be the difference that turns your losses into draws and draws into victories. And I think they, they, they have that ability to change games and make, make a very short, sharp impact. Many of our players don't have that. You look at people like Alain and Decore, they are very reliable. They will give you the 30 or 35 games, but can they in one moment win you that, that crucial? Did you say Allen will give us 35 games? That seems very optimistic. You wait. You wait. Play <laughs> but yeah, they, they, they are your your reliable go-tos in 
many games across the season, you're not necessarily expecting that moment of flamboyance to, to transform an entire match. And that that is what we are looking to people like Damari Gray for. You know, that I, I'm ready for him to play half an hour every week if it means that he is capable of being a slightly more productive Gerard Delafeo because that 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 is essentially what your winger to be. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm happy to this point, but the the signings that we've brought in only work if we go out and sign a couple of more high quality players. But more importantly for me, get rid of some of the deadwood that we have consistently spoken about for the last forty five years at Everton of all of these players that rake money in from us week after week and don't really have much of an impact. Um, Bernard looks like being a start, but there are countless numbers of players in that squad who can be replaced with probably more keen and certainly less expensive alternatives. And I think that's what we've picked up this week. Yeah, I I think that... Um, I, I think that there's always that kind of initial reaction or that initial twinge that we all feel when we hear a name, right? Because that name, especially if that's a player that's been in the Premier League for any considerable amount of time, has a narrative attached to him, right? I mean, they have a they have a, some baggage, they have their successes, their failings, what have you. Especially someone like uh, Andrus Townsend, who's been in the league for a long time, he's 30 years old. Um, and, uh, you, you I, I have to admit, and, and I, Matt probably would admit the same that when we first heard it, we were like, meh, you know, whatever. But I think I, I will say, and, and certainly the proof will come when we actually see him play and we see what his role ultimately is. But, um, I, I thought Adam, to your point, um, I thought he came across as refreshingly, uh, Frank and forthright about, uh, you know, during that, that interview that he did with the club site, uh, mainly because you would expect a guy who is 30 years old. He's been in the premier league now for a long period of time. Uh, and he's, stuck around for a reason uh, to, to be very self-aware in terms of what he is and what his strengths are and what they aren't. And I I definitely, he he definitely came across as someone who's, who kind of knows what he's been brought in to do. Um, I I think it was funny. We, we joke all the time about how connected or disconnected these players are from social media, but he even referenced that, that uh, who scored, tweet about his crossing accuracy last season and and then obviously you begin to see uh the same kind of stats over a two-year period for someone like Dwight McNeil and suddenly uh you're you're talking about um get you're starting to get a, a picture at least of what the manager views as not only the weaknesses, but but what can be taken advantage of in terms of improving the attack. Now obviously you can't build an attack on just the same sort of attack that, that crosses balls into the box and that's it. It can't just be that. You have to have an attack that can do a variety of things. But I do think that if you really think about it, given who we've got to deploy, and I mean that in terms of Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, both of whom are gifted uh, headers of the ball, uh, and then you even consider on corners, uh, you know, Michael Keane, Yerry Mina. Um, can you really honestly look at the way we set up and and look at the strengths or the actually in, in our case the relative weakness that we have crossing the ball outside of Luca Dean 
and really honestly say that we've put those players in the best position to get as many goals as they possibly could? I, I don't think the answer to that is yes. I think absolutely um, you've got to look at what you've got and say, all right, what can we do with the budget we've got to try to squeeze more out of our existing resources? So Mark, you and I talk about that all the time, that as much as we look to the transfer window for solutions, that ultimately it sometimes is about taking those investments you've already made and finding a way to make them better and finding a way to get more out of them. And so I think if you can squeeze a few more goals off of set pieces, which we were already pretty decent at last season, and I think that, that could potentially be better, but but even an attack, um, you know, finding ways to, to have more than just Luca Dean be a, be a threat from crosses, I think takes advantage of the, the particular strengths of, of both Richarlison and, and certainly Dominic Calvert-Lewin. So to be able to do that uh, by signing a, a free agent who is really there to be a squad player. And I think, Adam, to your point, he acknowledged that that they've kind of, they signed him to be someone who, uh, you know, works in the squad. And that he said, it's on me to prove that I can be more than that or I can contribute more consistently than that. I think that's as good an attitude as you possibly can get. Um, I think the difference between him and Fabian Delph is that regardless of, I mean, I, I don't know if, if we're, I can't. I won't know until more time passes about things like attitude and and how he fits in with the team. He seems to have quite a few people who vouch for his his fit as a teammate and and, and those sorts of things. But the real bottom line of this is that the contractual and overall kind of uh, outlay in terms of the the finances makes this a no brainer in some ways because you didn't pay anything to get him. He's on a two year deal though. I know initially I had said on the transfer window a one and one, and I think that's what I had initially read. It sounds like it's a two-year deal, but I imagine that uh, at the rate that they're probably paying him for a two-year deal, that if it doesn't work out this year, they can get they can jettison him pretty easily. So from that standpoint, I, I think that you know, Mark, you did the right thing in terms of reading off that list of sub substitutions that we had to deploy. We need guys who can go into the game and change games to a degree. Not every player we sign, not every bench player we have can be some perfect football manager, 35 million pound, 22 year old in their ascendancy. I would love that, but we're just not in that place to be able to, you know, give those spots to, to those types of players. So I do wonder, I do wonder given the relative youth of our team, which I think a lot of people sometimes forget about because of, of the focus on, on the older, you know, some of the older players. I do think it's nice to mix in some, some veteran presence, some, you know, some guys who've been around and, and have been in other places and, and, you know, can maybe offer something a little bit different, but I want to I want to kind of ask you guys a little bit about the reported interest in Dwight McNeil because uh, one I will tell you that I I in watching Burnley uh, matches when I've either been forced at gunpoint to watch Burnley matches or they just happen to have been on the on the television and with this staggered schedule we had last season um, they their kind of thing is that no player really sticks out. Um, maybe that's just because their starting 11 is almost exclusively white and English. I don't know if that's the reason why, but for the most part, they are just this sort of like anonymous team to me uh, a lot of the time. But 
I will say Dwight McNeil has always stood out to me whenever I watch a Burnley match. Um, I, there's something about that that kid, and I, I say kid now because I swear to God I thought he was 27 years old when we were linked to him. And I'm like, why are we? What are we doing? Uh, he's 21. Uh, he is a player in the in the ascendancy. Uh, obviously, the goal he scored against us, which was just absolutely class uh, is something that that I'm sure we'll watch over and over again if, if anything progresses further than this reported interest. But I think the fact that Paul Joyce, who really doesn't care to report on Everton unless he absolutely must, decided to put out there that we are interested in him suggests to me that there is actual firm, genuine interest and that there are conversations happening. Doesn't mean that it gets done, but I guess my question to you guys, and, I, and I'm curious, um, in terms of, of adding to that to that wing attack and, and, and addressing the imbalance that we have on the, on the perimeter of the pitch, is Dwight, Dwight McNeil the kind of player, given his age, given what you've seen of him and, and so on, uh, is, is he the kind of player that excites you? Um, or are you a little worried about you know, paying the, the, you know, the quote over the odds for a premier league player. I think some of that's mitigated by his age, but what do you guys think of, of Dwight McNeil as, as potentially one of the, I would imagine two at mo two or three at most major arrivals uh, this summer. I think from my point of view, it, it comes down to uh, the fee for one. Um, and I think the rumored fees, in my opinion, don't seem to be anything Actually, that you would you'd turn your nose up at really. Um, I think I saw 30, 35 million for a twenty-one-year-old, very much Premier League established player, who, as you say, Rob is is a standout in a team that is very much um, resolute. You could say in the way that they play, and and I, I think Sean Dyche is, is a very good manager, and I think he's a very good um, manager in a way that he sets a team up in, in a way that he likes them to play. And if you can have a Burnley team with a player who sticks out for his flair and attacking ability, then he mustn't be too bad because it's something that they very much lack on a, a game-to-game -game basis. So there's there's names thrown around, and I think a lot of the time it, it comes down to the fact that if Dwight McNeil had a I don't know, Spanish name and played in the La Liga, then... 30 million for a left-footed cross of the ball who takes people on and and is, is young and up, and up and coming and hungry. Everyone would be thrown 50, 60 million pounds at him. So I think we actually get the best of both worlds with a player like Dwayne McNeil. We have someone who we know is shouldn't be letting us down because he, he's been here and done it before. But then at the same time, you've got that youth, you've got that little bit of rawness that hopefully is not being knocked out of him to come and make a real difference in a side that is, is very much uh, of needing... A young, hungry winger with with pace and, and with the ability to put the ball into the box. We're going to have about thirty of them by the time the transfer window closes. But I'm all for it. Just hit it dead hard and high into the air, and hopefully one of them too will get their head on it. So I think there's other names. I like to Leon Bailey being being touted as well. And for me, I haven't seen enough of of Leon Bailey. But my my gut instinct is to go for a player like Dwayne McNeil over him because we're we're kind of giving ourselves something that is a lot more assured in our decision instead of taking a big risk on a player that is is a is a little bit older who may not have been able to, may not be able to adjust to the Premier League as we've seen with the likes of Bernard. Uh, I think I think Dwayne McNeil could be a really really good bit of business. Um, I think especially you can see. 
Rafa Benitez is already his his way of thinking in regards to how we are going to go about things this season. And as Mark alluded to before, getting the ball out wide, beating mm-hmm. your man, getting the ball in the box. Evertonians love that. Evertonians love a team which are on the front foot, but also a team that can can defend well and, and sit in as a unit. And I think Dwight McNeil under under Sean Dyche will, will definitely be able to do that because as I say that that low block Burnley football is something that if you're not tracking back and working, uh, you'll be dragged within an instant. So yeah, I think it's a it's it's a really it's got the potential to be a really good signing and uh, unless we keep we keep getting pushed and pushed and pushed on a price and I think there will will come a time where we yeah. probably walk away from it if it does become a little bit too extortionate. Yeah. That's the thing, Mark, I don't have a sense for is what uh, it, it seemed odd to me that the reporting had come out with a figure right off the bat, like Everton value him at 25 million. And, and then immediately you saw the volley back of, uh, I think it was James Ducker who's reporting for the Telegraph, um, I guess is on Northern correspondent duty now for them. But he, he was saying that they could want up to twice that much. I mean, it's all, it's all, I mean, it's such a, it's almost such a transparent game. Um, and I almost, I'm, I'm almost at the point where I get too much tired head trying to to decipher whether or not Everton can negotiate good deals or, or not. I, I suppose I, I can put that to the side for now and just ask you kind of, you know, the original question, which is, you know, do you think McNeil is, is the, the type that, that can come in and make a, a positive difference? I mean, I, I like to Adam's point. I mean, if he was coming from anywhere else, uh, I think, uh, given given the things he's displayed and and his particular traits, he seems to always be someone who makes something happen. Uh, I like, I love the age, and and I love the fact that you're buying. You know, we talk all the time. Like, you want to buy players in their ascendancy, not one who is like an Awobi coming from a club like Arsenal and then yeah. coming down to Everton and so on. I, I, I also would would argue too that, and we'll get into right back here in a second, but. I would also kind of argue that we have got to find a way to have more than just a left-hand side. We've got to find a way to balance these things. It does feel like McNeil, you can kind of McNeil and Townsend to a degree. I mean, you can, you can, you can move them around a little bit. I think that there's some versatility there, but um, I, I, you know, I, I don't think that we have enough guys out there. And I feel like we've been talking about this for years that actually threaten the defense. I mean, I think that teams look at us and say, if we can neutralize Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin in any meaningful way, there's none of these guys that were really afraid of beating us. I mean, Neil seems like the kind of guy, even though I know he's a wing player and he's not, he's not, he's going to score 20 goals in a season. He does seem like the kind of guy who's a threat who gives a center half something to think about, who gives a fullback something to think about. And we just don't have enough danger guys in the squad, do we? Mm-hmm. No, he, he definitely ticks that box of of adding real quality as opposed to simply numbers. Um, I think Adam made a good point about wingers. I'm not quite sure if Marcel Brand's wingers are the new Steve Walsh's number tens. Uh, that that could potentially be where we're going with this, but yeah, that 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 has to become that deciding moment where we actually add someone who's who's going to make this football team a real difference. And he he is clearly someone who is capable of doing that. Um, things I like about him, I think th- there's an element of having watched him play and the type of role that you imagine him playing in this team that are, are we potentially safeguarding ourselves against a- an impending James Rodriguez exit? Um, m- maybe maybe that is, is why we've got so many players being targeted in that region. 
Well, how, how so, Mark? Can you, can you unpack that a little bit? Because okay. without getting into the specifics of players who are available or potentially won't be available and then other players who can leave yeah. or who may be pushing to leave like Hamas Rodriguez, I get, I, that, that's actually a question I'm curious about. Um, if we don't really have that kind of classic number 10 option, is that is that the idea for? And I'm asking this for those who listen who are not as as uh, who are not as football acumen in terms of the in terms of, of formations and, and those sorts of things. Is the idea that if you aren't creating quote creating in the middle up front that you are creating out on the edges by having these types of dynamic wing players is is that kind of what what you mean when you say he's you know that's why you're seeing these types of links just because we may not have Hamas Rodriguez or we may be depleted in some area in general but just to take this back a, a step further again i think if you if you look at the signings that we've made i think you guys were chatting about this again in the transfer show robin trying to allude to the shape in which Everton might primarily set up next season. And I think so much of what we've seen of, in particular, the two strikers, Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin, uh, and clearly they both have a preference to play to play centrally as a pair. Um, the, the nature of us going out and signing wingers on the back of the fact that we know that we have relative strength down the middle, everything points towards a 4-4-2. And I, I think that we mentioned on the on that show, Rob, about Richarlison and how that setup really suited him, and we were kind of setting a team up for him in a way, um, be that consciously or not. The the player that I thought of constantly throughout that conversation was James Rodriguez, and in, in what world does he fit into an Everton four four two? And for me, it's mm-hmm. absolutely nowhere. Um, and you, I mean, the guy's got undoubted quality, and you potentially alter that system too create a diamond or to bring one of your wingers slightly more infield, you accommodate him in some way purely because of what he is capable with on the ball. And I totally get that. And, and there will be games where that is required, but that that danger word of accommodation, how, how many times have we used that about players who right. have inadvertently upset the system and, and not necessarily work towards that kind of general purpose of how Everton is actually going to look and how we're going to play football. And I mean, I, I am no, I am in no way saying that James Rodriguez has to go in favour of a Mike Bassett 4-4-2 here, but it, it is difficult to see how he would fit into that potential system. The part where I link Dwight McNeil into that is, I think positionally and primarily due to his age as well, He's probably got a little bit more flexibility to, to fit into that sort of system. I think he would he would probably be, be a bit more natural fit as an out-and-out wide man, albeit we've seen him cut inside, uh, most notably at Goodison Park, of course. Um, but he likes to get in a very similar, similar way to James Rodriguez. I think every time he gets on the ball, he aims to be productive in terms of getting a shot on goal or getting a cross into the box. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the latter, the, the guy plays for Burnley. We, we know that the MO is to cross the ball into the mass of lads in the middle, but I, I, I do think that there's an element of his ability to deliver the ball into the box, which kind of supersedes everything when you've got a player like Dominic Calvert-Lewin there. Um, so, I mean, I, I, he absolutely would, would suit that that kind of style that you subliminally think that Benitez is going to go with going into the new season. But I think the interesting point of all of this is is something that Adam mentioned about Leon Bailey. Uh, and I think that 
the link between those two transfer links themselves is going to be really interesting mm. over the next couple of weeks because I would right. imagine Everton are going to string both of these deals along for as, as long as they can, for as low a price as they can. And it, it quite simply could end up being who is the most available player for the most appropriate fee. The, the problem with that is, I think, that it, it's quite feasible to say that they are pretty different in terms of style. I think if, if, if Dwight McNeil picks the ball up halfway into the opposition uh, and the opposition half, he probably is looking to, to either get a shot on goal or get a cross into the box. Leon Bailey, not to minimalise his, his ability, but he's a little bit more direct attack of a fullback, which you probably look at someone like Damari Gray and Andros Townsend and say, well, have, have we kind of got that already? That that kind of raw, stereotypical winger attribute of, of knocking the ball past them and trying to get round the outside. And I think Bailey yeah. probably a little bit more of that. And we, we mentioned Ger- Gerard Delafeo earlier, but you... You, you can kind of picture that style of, of just making a, a fullback's afternoon a nightmare. Um, that, that is great to see. But how many times have we had players who are capable of doing that and not quite having the ability to, to deliver that final ball or to deliver that shot? We've just, we've just shipped one off to Southampton. Um, so it, it, it's in, it, it really depends on, yes, what type of quality and what type of attributes Rafael Benitez is looking for. But... In, in the financial restraints that most football clubs and in particular Everton are under at the moment, if Leon Bailey is available at half the price of a inflated Premier League Dwight McNeil, then that's potentially right. where this thing goes purely for reason. Um, it, it's disappointing that, that things have to come down to that, but but clearly Everton are one of the clubs in, in that financial situation at the moment whereby you can't just go and be free and easy unless a big player was to leave. Um, and I know that there's, there's, there will be constant rumours this summer, despite Everton's abilities to to try and detract all of those by bribing Richarlison with an Olympic performance. But the, <laughs> unless we were to lose a player of that calibre, I don't necessarily think Everton realistically go out and spend 50 million on two wingers. We, we, we simply have to make that choice. And, I think most of us, for the reasons you've mentioned about just that Premier League know-how, I think we always feel safe with a player who's who's done all of these difficult away games and, and overcome all of these very English challenges. Um, mm-hmm. Leon Bailey probably is a risk in that sense, but if he's a cheaper one, that that's, that's possibly where we go. Yeah, that's. I think that's a great point. And, and Matt made a really compelling argument yesterday that the, the other kind of built-in uh, benefit to someone like Dwight McNeil besides just the generic he's played in the Premier League thing is that by coming from Burnley and playing under Sean Dyche, you know, you, you don't have to you don't have to kind of instill in him the whole hard work track back sort of thing. You know, I mean, you know, kind of what kind of baseline foundational principles he's going to kind of carry with him. And what you hope to do is is to develop it beyond that. But, you know, I think it's an interesting point comparing the, you know, how connected potentially at least and again this could all be the way in which this stuff is laid out in the media or leaked in certain ways to to create these sort of conundrums but it it is fascinating to see Villa uh, potentially rivaling us on both Bailey and McNeil and vice versa just because it, it, it really is about who can outflank the other and decide you know which 
which way that's going to go. I, I also don't know if Villa are spending their Adam Grealish money. Uh, I, I don't know if if that is going to actually happen this summer. I, I don't know. I can only kind of speculate on that. There's still time to go. But, yeah, I, I would probably prefer McNeil just because of the the – I view him in a lot of ways as less of a risk and, and someone who is a little more dynamic potentially uh, because if we're going to play a 4-4-2, um, yes, you you want good wing play, uh, but that can't be all they do. Uh, there's going to have to be some creation from those positions as well, you would think, uh, you know, to supplement what you lose when you don't have a certain types of players out there. And so, you know, I, I, I do think that, that that's interesting. I, I think the other thing, too, and we haven't really touched much on Damari Gray, Adam. I I know this was, was kind of referenced earlier, but the whole notion of getting Damari Gray, like if uh, he was a player that I was certainly interested in back in 2019, uh, 2018, 2019, for sure. Um, I, I, I'm pleasantly incur- I'm pleasantly surprised by the confluence of factors with him because 2 million might as well be a free transfer almost. I mean, it's, it's really not much of, it's not much of a risk at all, but instead of paying 2 million for a guy who is 27, 28 and has just washed out completely, you are paying that and signing to, I believe, I believe is a two year with an, I think it's two year with an option for a third uh, is what we've seen quoted. Um, you're getting a guy who is certainly at age 25, not a kid, but he is someone who is most definitely at the crossroads of his career, right? Like this is where he's getting that second uh, chance back in the Premier League again after a very short stint in Germany. Uh, and he's got to kind of establish himself because how he plays for Everton will ultimately define what his contractual future whether it's at Everton or anywhere else looks like in terms of his professional earnings, his career, you know, as a whole and so on. So you would think as much as there was this talk of, of Townsend coming in and, and having certain motivation and being on a short-term deal, I'm sure he does. I'm more intrigued by Damari Gray just from the standpoint that he, he always looked a talent to me that for whatever reason wasn't quite developed. I don't know that Everton can certainly claim that they're going to do any better. I don't know, but it's a risk worth taking at 2 million, isn't it? Given his age and given his particular set of skills and most certainly his pace, which has always impressed me. That's it. I think that risk worth taking probably doesn't even come as a risk of anything. And as you say, with, with 2 million pounds as a, as a transfer fee, you can pay that back in what a couple of assists and a goal really. So I think there's, there's a couple of skills and, and talents you, you can and can't teach a footballer. Uh, one of them is, is obviously pace and with that, Damari Gray has an abundance of it. We've seen our, our Theo Walcott on one end of the spectrum and then other players with pace and then an end product on the other end. But at the same time, for someone who is coming back, and Andros Townsend alluded to actually about when he, he left uh, Newcastle, I think it was, that the, the manager said, you'll find it very hard to come back to a big, big team. Um and I think with Damari Gray, it's probably the, the same scenario, actually. He's he's had a big chance at Leicester. He was a, he's a Premier League winner, isn't he? Yeah, he in, was there for their title, yes. So he, he's won more than a lot of Everton players currently at the club. Um, he was he was obviously surface to... Winning mentality, guys. We brought in the winning mentality. <laughs> That's it. And I think he, he's gone to Germany. I don't, I don't think he's played too much, maybe 10 or less games. And then he, he gets that that chance that I'm sure he won't be surprised at, but 
he's probably surprised that it's come this quickly. Actually, that he's gone out and, and he's he's been drawn back in by the Premier League, and it's time for him to really to stamp himself as a, a footballer who can make a big, big difference. Because you've played at Leicester, you've won a league title. Fair enough, you may not have been the man who was at the forefront of their success, like your, your Riyad Mahrez or Jamie Vardy or Kante. But at the same time, you've you know what it takes to play in the Premier League and, and now it's your time to show it in, in a different way, at a different club who who have really given you the opportunity to come and do so because, don't get me wrong, he, he's playing in Germany and, and Leverkusen and I think it's a, a, a probably a good place for young English footballers to go and play in Germany but at the same time, he, he's what, 25 now, 26? So it's time for him to really start making an impression uh, and hopefully it, it's that that framework that we're seeing from the recruitment at Everton at the moment, hopefully that, that Rafa Benitez and Marcel Brands are working very closely on is you can have a couple of signings towards the latter stage of this, this transfer window, which are really going to excite the Evertonians. But let's just get a couple of shrewd signings in on low wages who aren't costing us very much, who are going to really beef this squad out and try and prove a point when it comes to, to getting into the team and, You've seen it so many times over the years that you have this massive marquee signing, and and the young lad from the, the, the young lad from the academy comes up, or you, you sign a player for 50, 60 million pounds, and your Ben Godfrey comes through the door without anyone really noticing, and, and that's what hopefully Andros Townsend and Damari Gray are really going to be. They're going to be that that player by the end of you know, October, November that we go. How have the this player not just become a, a, a I don't know, important to this squad, but that we can't really replace them in that starting eleven, and they're keeping these signings that we've paid a lot of money on for out. And there's nothing better than healthy competition, and and these lads are coming in to be healthy competition, and hopefully then some. In, in I think we made this argument, Rob, about the the managerial appointments and and you know everything that surrounded that earlier in the summer, but. As an Evertonian now, having watched what has happened since probably Steve Walsh came in, how can you how can you possibly look at this club and say I know what the correct way to go in the transfer market is? Because we have consistently, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> consistently tried to break the entire market with every signing that we made. Um, we're essentially like Green Day who just try and end the world with every song they bring out we're trying to do that with every transfer you know this is the biggest thing that the league has ever seen and just just going full pelt at it with no no real plan about how it was all going to knit together or how much it was all going to cost um, I mean the fact that we are still paying for that original Koeman Walsh era is Probably something that I didn't really believe when, even when people said it up until this summer, where you do start to make these more astute signings, and and quite honestly, there's there was probably a much higher element of risk associated with some of those big signings that we made. You look, you look at someone like a, um, a Balassi potentially, or even more notably a Davy Classen, cons- cost considerably higher fees, but. You probably look at someone like Andros Townsend and he's probably one of those signings that new managers coming into clubs that are, are relatively, relatively unfamiliar with that club need people around them who they can trust. It, it struck me as a very trust signing. I've worked with him at Newcastle. I know what I'll get on the pitch. I know what I'll get in the training ground. I know right. his attitude. We've already seen elements of that in the way he speaks. 
not not to go full Fabian Delph being the model pro around the dressing room, but that that's the type of person that you you know from previous regimes and previous football teams that you've been at, and you need that element of not necessarily familiarity, but just someone that you you know the exact product you're going to get from, and that product might not be nine or ten every week, but there's, there's an element of reliability there that I think he probably looks at a lot of attacking Everton players. Alex Awobi's very much at the front of my mind here and thinks, well, it's a roll of the dice what you get from him. Um, th- th- there will be situations. And, you know, I, how many times have we seen Alex Awobi warming up on the side of the pitch, ready to come on, and everyone's just done that collective sigh and look around at each other because you know that this could be the greatest or the worst moment of your life. You're <laughs> not going to get that with Andros Townsend. Um, and ad- admittedly that the highs may not be as high, but if they right. got 20 times less than what the alternative does, then not, not to take all of the romance away from the sport, but th- th- this is a pragmatic business being run by Marcel Brands now. Um, unfortunately, we have to buy into it and learn the lessons that we have made over the last few years. And Mm -hmm. the summary of that point is that it quite honestly can't get any worse from either a footballing point of view or a business acumen point of view. And I'm quite happy to see us taking these more, more measured risks. Yeah. Well, and, and it's almost like if I can use an analogy, I think that, you know, kind of like what you you were saying about, uh, you know, was a Green Day trying to end the world with every song kind of thing. I mean, I I think sometimes it's about how good are you at analyzing the problem and then providing an appropriate solution, right? So, for instance, um, you, you know, there's this idea at times that every player we sign has to be this exact particular archetype right of certain you know the if i hear marcel brand's profile player one more time i mean i think i'm gonna lose my shit but i i I think that that's i think it's never as simple as that because ultimately squads unless you're you know unless you're city and you just have a, a huge well of um you know bad guy money to 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 mine from then you're in a position where you are essentially assembling jigsaw pieces together and sometimes those pieces are in going back to that whole prescriptive thing it's 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 knowing the difference between uh what requires um what requires uh you know major surgery versus what requires uh uh, paracetamol, if I can use a, a, a UK reference there. We don't, you know, we've, we've yes, I got it right. And every day, Mark, Mark, the pharmacist is very happy with me. But, medicines. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think that's the problem is that Everton at times have tried to, you know, have tried to have thought to themselves, well, th- there's no point in adding any player unless they're this much money and that, that it's this much, this big of a splash every time. Whereas maybe the idea here is relatively straightforward one, which is, okay, um, there are things we've got to clearly improve in the attack. And one of those things is we need to get more consistent effort, to your point, Mark, before, like knowing what what you're going to get out of Andros Townsend, not necessarily in terms of I know every game he's going to get me an assist and a goal. It's not that. But you do know with him you're going to get consistent effort, which is something that I think has been maddening for every manager who's come through Everton for the last half decade or so is not knowing the level of, of effort they're going to get every time out. Whereas I think someone like Townsend is a known quantity. You know 
know what you're going to get out of that guy. Whether whether it's going to be great every time in terms of the output is is one thing, but I think the idea is that Everton have said, well, we need to improve the number of uh, you know chances that get into the box. Now, some of those are, have to be addressed in other ways in terms of, of being a better passing side, which Everton certainly need a lot of help there. But one area that they can absolutely be better in is providing more consistent service in the form of, of, of headed opportunities into the box, right? So they're like, well, how can we solve this? How, how can we begin to address this without having to spend a hundred million to do so? And I think that adding good, you know, squad options, Adam, to that point you were making before. I mean, it, I think that, that having options that you can, that, that, that bring certain traits off of the bench that we just frankly haven't had, had uh, the option to, I think is really key. And, and it really addresses a wider issue. And I want to kind of wrap up the Everton discussion with, with this notion that you've got to provide more balance. You've got to create more from the edges of the pitch than we have. Uh, I said to Matt yesterday, um, <laughs> you know, everyone who's alarmed by the number of wingers we're link, linked with, well, we don't really have any. Uh, and, and I think Matt pointed out very astutely that, that um, you know, you start really looking at it. Do we actually have those types of players? And, and the answer is no. We have guys who who have played on the wing, but that doesn't make them wingers per se, right? Like, hmm. like Alex Awobi to me is a player who – gets put out on the edge, but every time I've seen him actually look halfway decent is when he's a little bit, plays a little bit more centrally. That's not to defend him. It's just to, to acknowledge that he's not really a winger in the way that someone like Dwight McNeil is actually a winger who also has other traits tr- too. But if you said to Dwight McNeil, I need you to be a constant, consistent perimeter threat. That's what he and Townsend, you know, have made their made their living on uh, in the Premier League so far. Their stats, uh, and I think we saw that Dwight McNeil, I think, is the second most proficient uh, crosser of the ball into the box over the last two seasons. I mean, he's been doing it since he was 19 years old. So you, these are known quantities, and these are known uh, things that you can you can begin to rely upon uh, in comparison to a squad that hasn't had a lot of reliability uh, in, in those attacking areas. The, the, the final thing I want to wrap up with, guys, uh, as we wrap up this Everton portion of the discussion is my big, great fear. Uh, I am worried that once again, I, 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 I don't know how many years I can say it. I feel like I, I feel like we'll be going into the new Bramley Moore Stadium with Seamus Cole, Coleman starting it right back. And I, I think I'm going to cry um, again. Uh, all the caveats about how this is not a, a slight on Seamus Coleman, but um, I, I think we saw very, very clearly last season that it was always unfair to expect a person of that age uh, who's going to have more injuries, uh, which he, he certainly picked up uh, as the season, you know, got going. And, and by the way, Seamus Coleman played pretty well when he played. Uh, but but I think that you're going to get the maximum value out of a guy like Coleman as someone who you can deploy more strategically as opposed to asking him to start 32 plus uh, you know league games every season. So the Denzel Dumfries thing, you know, that's that's this mystery where I, I think that's been the link all summer, even though I'm not sure that it's been as heavily reported in UK circles as I would like to believe in. But I will say that watching the euros that guy excited me even even without the goals he was someone who who could, you could play in a forward position as a right-sided attacker and he looked very comfortable looked very at home he was always in the mix uh he was always making things happen and and kind of to the same point about Dwight McNeil 
Everton can use players who give defenders on the, the opposition side something to think about because, frankly, we just don't have any of those. We don't have many of those types. And if you can neutralize our left-hand side, I mean, it, it's so easy to stop Everton uh, and, and Everton have to overly rely on set pieces and things like that. I'll start, you know, I want to kind of start with you, Adam, on this, but um, I, I, I'm not saying that you have to have any inside knowledge on this, but please, please tell me that you believe or that, that you have faith that we are going to actually sign a right back under the age of 30 <laughs> as, as, a, as a potential starting piece this season. Or are we looking at another season of trying to make Seamus Coleman just sort of get by for one more one more year? Yeah, well, we've got John Joe Kenny back at the club now. Um, so <laughs> shut your shut your mouth, Adam. <laughs> shut your <laughs> mouth. <laughs> um, Scout's, ma- Scout's mouth is not the answer, so it can't that's, be. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's no slight on John Joe Kenny. Actually, I think it's it's probably just oh, he's just not a starting player. Yeah, that's it. He's he's not there yet. And we had some some good time in Germany, but at the same time, we need to we need to sign a a right back which is going to play. Of who is going to play for Everton for the next five, six years consistently. We need Seamus Coleman 10 years ago, essentially. Um, and that's not to say that Seamus Coleman shouldn't be in and around the Everton squad for the next season. But totally as you say, I think I think the urgency needs to be very quickly shifted over to that right side um, defensively. I know Andros Townsend's been brought in. I still talking about how, how well he's come across and how much I think he can really actually impact Everton this season. I still think that the right-hand side needs two new players uh, in regards to a right-footed uh, winger who can cut inside and a right-back who can tirelessly, tirelessly push on, push on, push on, but then is very, very resolute in playing in a back four or also a back five. That's the one thing that does really worry me about Denzel Dumfries is he looks fun um, and he looks too fun sometimes for my liking. Um, he looks like he would very much leave Michael Keane, Yerry Mina, whoever it be, uh, exposed against some rapid fella who is well too far up the pitch to have anyone nowhere near him marking-wise. Um, but at the same time, it needs to be someone who is of that ilk in the ability to want to go and attack, want to create chances, want to get past uh, your right forward or your right midfielder, because yeah, as we've as we've spoken about the likes of Alex Iwobi and, and James Rodriguez, it's all well and good them being criticised in a way for not doing certain things. But you need a system which has a right back who is similar to to Luca Dean on the other side, who is constantly getting past you, constantly dragging your well, you know, left back, say if you're a right winger, away from you to give you that couple of yards to do something, to create a chance, to pick a pass. Every time I saw James Rodriguez play towards the latter end of the season, there was no one bombing on past him. And therefore, he just had one man who was marking him. He's not the most agile. He hasn't got that five-yard burst. And therefore, it looks like he's constantly losing the ball. But he's just needed someone to to open up that pitch, open up that channel for him, which I feel that Denzel Dumfries can definitely do. But other than that, as you said, Rob, even if I did have inside knowledge, I wouldn't be able to talk about it because it's it's not as if there's any form of rumours to anyone else. I haven't heard mm-hmm. of yeah. in the past couple of months. He was he was rumoured to be, to, you know, very keen on, on coming to Everton, um, or or well, there was rumoured that we were very much in for him, and, and it seems that that 
that Norwich link has very much gone away, whether it's him giving, yeah. giving them a season in the Premier League, whether it's uh, Denzel Dumfries, who is up and in, or whether Everton are, are not willing to pay the price. I saw something before about us not necessarily having the funds, which I hope, is, in a way, is definitely a tactic now that Everton are going to undertake, where it's not just, is the money how much. Yeah. It's more yeah. of... We need to start acting more, more, more skins out there, if you will, because <laughs> it doesn't do us any favors for them to all think we've got a lot exactly. of it's like, that, it's like that fella at the bar who is who is very wealthy, but he doesn't ask for anything uh, but the most expensive bottle of wine, and you're going to bring in the most expensive bottle of wine, even if it doesn't taste as good, because that's just what Everton were for the past couple of years. We had a load of money and not much clue about whether the wine tasted nice or not. We just bought it. <laughs> because we have it. Um, and I think that's what we need to, to definitely start undertaking. I think the financial fair play will, will, will help us in a way to actually convince people that is the truth. Because I still do think that Rafa Benitez will be backed if he has the ability to yeah. be backed, because the, the, the board definitely do not want to see him fail, considering yeah. how, how much they've put their necks on the line for him. So we need to be shrewd. We need to be a little bit more understanding of of what's needed positional-wise. As, as we've said, I think that the three lads who have come in are our foundations for moving forward, of building that squad out and not having, I don't know what Mark name, the names Mark said before, Ashley, John and Welsh, sounds like top of the pops in 2015 or something. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, it's literally, it, it gets to the point now where we need to, to start focusing on positions that have been weakened um, over over the past couple of seasons and we say it all the time Seamus Coleman's fantastic I think John Joe Kenny is probably not the answer and, and we very much need to turn our attention to a right back very quickly um, in my opinion more than any other position on the pitch mm-hmm. yeah Mark I, I, just to be as straight as straightforward as possible is there any scenario where this summer's recruitment is successful if we don't have a new starting right back by the end of the window uh, no, I think it's fair to say no. Um, we, we absolutely have, have said this for for a couple of years on and off. Um, we've always had these kind of fleeting periods that Seamus Coleman can offer that kind of dangles the carrot of, of reclaiming the player that has, has previously gone before him. But I think we, we, all, we all know that this is something that needs addressing. Um, you, you're both dead right in that this is... This is not a coup against Seamus Coleman's right back castle. It, 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 he will have a, an important part to play, not not purely on the pitch for Everton, but of course in the dressing room as well, and and all of those things that your your consummate professional footballer gives you. But yeah, Max Aaron's, Denzel Dumfries, or someone of that ilk simply has to come in. Um, my belief is that it will probably be probably be Dumfries. Um, purely from the the noise publicly, and, and and that's absolutely no insider insight at all. I am the only non ITK Evertonian ever born. Um, but yeah, the the problem with Dumfries that you've you've both kind of referenced there is that with with every potential new player that does come in or we get linked with the the head scratching over the formation and and the style of play it gets gets ever more complicated. Um, Adam quite right. rightly said that we you know at the point that we've seen Dumfries at the highest stage was in that wing back role at the Euros. We've seen Rafa Benitez do that previously. That doesn't really tie in with having out and out wingers. Um, so 
yes, we are building a squad that is capable of of adapting in different moments and to different challenges, but there, there does have to be that base of, you know, how do you go out and play in, in, in terms of not, not primarily adapting to how other teams are setting up against you, but how do you impose your game on, on teams and what, what is your go-to when, when you know, the, the crux is on you to go and impose yourself on a game? And yeah, with, with every player that comes in, there is that. I, I don't quite think it's got close to a scattergun approach yet, but the there seems to be a, a, a little bit of a lack of real structure in terms of how, you know, th- there's no obvious pieces that are sliding in here. Dum- Dumfries comes in and, and does a one of two roles. He either does that, that very conventional fullback role, which I think it probably fits in with what we need. Um, and then that obviously now and again, we, we are able to adapt and, and kind of let the shackles off him. And, and as you said, Rob, everything we saw at the Euros was incredibly exciting. Um, Adam's point about getting runners beyond the ball is something that Everton have been notoriously terrible at for years now. Um, far too often our attacking players get on the ball and very little of the game is actually ahead of them. And I think we're all ready for that to, to change and be a little bit more fluid and a little bit more dynamic going forward. Of, of all of those players that have been linked at right back, Dumfries is probably the one that in his first game at Goodison Park, I probably wouldn't watch him as you do watch a new player. And every time they get on the ball, you, you kind of have that that tension in the shoulders and those nerves about where every single one of his passes goes because you're just dying for him to do so well. And you've got that, that underlying level of anxiety knowing that if he has a poor first hour, we'll all collectively be waiting for him to prove us wrong even in his first game of the season he he gives me that level of assuredness when you watch him that he'd come into this league and and be pretty capable from the off and I know that we've got no previous to to back that up with but being on the stage and you know in front of a home crowd and everything that came with that that European campaign for Holland he, he did he did give me that level of security that made me feel that he could probably slot into this team pretty well. Um, time will tell, of course, whether we are able to to make that transfer permanent and, and he is able to make that, that undoubted step up into the Premier League. But I think of the of the two primarily that have been mentioned, albeit with a little bit of Premier League experience with Aaron's and obviously knowing the league very well, etc, etc. Dumfries is probably the one that I think most of us would, would lean towards at the moment. And I think you'd like to think that we've laid enough groundwork before the Euros and, and potentially since as well with, with Marcel Brands rumouredly going over to, to the Netherlands to try and secure this deal. But I think that one element of this that, that we were all waiting for post-Euros was the influx of top European clubs who were going to be banded around as being in for this lad. All we've really seen is Inter Milan drop out from a, a financial point of view. So... The, the longer that right. we stay in this sort of front-runner contention. Again, we, we can probably play these two deals off against each other, and, and there will come a point where the two selling clubs know that they've got players on their hands who want to make that move and want to make that step up. Uh, um, Marcel Brands strikes me as that kind of astute fellow where he's he's going to know the exact time to make that move. Uh, yeah, And it could, it could end up being a very similar situation where the best financial deal ends up with deciding what player comes in but yeah Dumfries I would say Rob looks the most likely 
Yeah, he uh, that was sort of the best version of brands. I remember early on, I, I remember how uh, I know it seems like forever ago. I was, it, I guess, 2018. Was that when Yerry Mina and Andre Gomes came in on the last day? Um, I think it was 2018. Um, but I remember everyone, the speculation around the competition, you know, wait, you know, United being involved and, you know, how, how much was this going to be? Would we overpay? And, and to, to Brand's credit, he seems like the sort of guy who, who will, uh, you know, for the most part, and he certainly doesn't have a perfect record on this. It depends on who you blame Alex Awobi for, but uh, of of kind of wait, being willing to wait, wait something out. Like I think Luca Dean was a good example of that. You know, I mean, allowing the market to settle, but settle a bit, getting a good, good, good price. And you know, I think that um, I think that there may be some of that in there. This is a depressed market because of COVID, and and I think that. You have to know how to take advantage of it. And most importantly, you have to know when to take advantage of it, because um, I don't think that there are all of these clubs out there, which going back to the Hamas Rodriguez thing, I mean, he may go. Um, he probably wants to go. But this idea that there is this certainty about it or that there are all of these Champions League clubs that are lining up uh, for his wages and whatever, it just it hasn't materialized yet. And, and, and so some of that may just be a, a delayed, delayed reaction. But I think the market is going to dictate some of this. I think it'll be um, you know, really interesting to, to monitor. Um, I just I'm hopeful uh, that, that we that we find a way to, to get a right back in just because. Um, it feels like a, an unforced error that we continue to make. Like it just doesn't, I don't know why we want to play in a way where we have such a lack of balance. So hopefully that part gets better. And hopefully by, uh, by the time they, these guys get back from America, um, which, you know, going back to that whole thing, I mean, I don't mind, I mean, Everton are going out to Florida for reasons that go beyond pre preseason preparation. They haven't been back to America in a long time, America, and in particular, um, their efforts to develop, you know, from a marketing and, and uh, kind of exposure standpoint, uh, the, you know, relationships with the uh, Latino community uh, in, in that part of the world, especially the Colombian community. That's why I'm pretty sure Yeri Mina will be flying up there for, you know, to join training as well as Hamas Rodriguez being there, which honestly shocks me because if you had told me uh, a few weeks ago that either of them would be in this Florida cup thing. I would have said, Oh, Hamas will be gone by then. Yeri Mina may still be done because of, you know, the Copa you know stuff he had to do. And so uh, it may, it may all end up working out in that regard, but we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, I think that, that we still have yet to see all the pieces. And as Patty astutely pointed out, for those kind of concerned or underwhelmed with the signing so far, uh, it, it's 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 not always about the order that they come in. Um, sometimes it's about uh, the idea that if you're shipping players like Bernard, you're opening and you're signing cheaper replacements, that you then open up more funds to potentially go towards a starter here or there. And so, um, hopefully, we see more of that. And uh, you know, we'll we'll of course continue to to monitor it as we move forward. Guys, um, in the last few minutes, I, I teased this before, and, and, and this may just be me, and I, I need to just ask this right up front. Mark, I think I know you have, I believe you have not, but Adam, have you ever seen any of the Fast and Furious movies? Okay. Yes, I have. I've seen, um, I've seen, I don't know, do you know what, Rob? I, I am like the black sheep in regards to, well, watching movies and also the, the Fast <laughs> and Furious franchise. Is that my favorite Fast and Furious is Tokyo Drift? Oh, 
Which, that's not a wrong answer. That's not a terrible answer. It's a great, it's actually, you're shocked when you see it, when you're like, wait, so there's not going to be Paul Walker or Vin Diesel in this, and I'm going to like it? Yes, you will like so, it. It's really good. I think the soundtrack to that is is incredible. Mm -hmm. there's, there's many songs off that film that stick out for me. But yeah. the other seven, is it? Six, seven? Yeah, there's well, there's nine. There, there's technically there's ten. There's ten if you count Hobbs and Shaw as it's, it's as the sort of adjacent film. But there are nine is out right now. Um, yeah. I have made it through seven. So the final Paul Walker film I just finished, and then we've got to watch. We're going to watch eight this weekend, and then go go see nine. Hopefully on a giant, ridiculously oversized IMAX type screen, you know, if, if at all possible. So, so for me, the, the way that I have very much passed Tokyo Drift for me, they all are just the same film. Um, yeah, that's kind of true. Uh, they just, they just are the same thing. And it's turned into like an action movie. Whereas I think the early ones were very much like, you know, jumping the bridge as it's about to open and the cars that were all sitting <laughs> up and on the run from police and stuff like that. And I think that was really cool of when, the main focus was the cars, and now it seems to have you know, developed into something a little bit too, not as far-fetched, I think is probably the word to say. Instead of too far-fetched, it's gone into something oh, that they're is... they're too far-fetched. Yeah, it, it's like um, it's like it's an action movie now instead of like a film about you know, fast cars and racing. And whether that's mm. what the fans wanted, I, I'm not a massive movie watcher. I really enjoyed Tokyo Drift. I love the earlier ones where... It was about racing and you know looking at each other on the start line and trying to <laughs> drift around corners and whatever. But yeah, it's, uh, it's it's they were a very easy watch. But I feel like the latest ones are very much like you've got to listen, you've got to know the story, you've got to know exactly who's who and what's going on. And they kind of lost me a little bit. But it's one of those yeah. things. If it's on, I'll sit and watch it. But that's that's probably the case for a lot of films for me now. I I, I very rarely. My girlfriend will tell you more than anyone. She cannot get me to sit down for longer than, I don't know, a 30-minute series every six months or something um, because I, I can't sit still. I literally, I've got, I must have some form of, I don't know, answer me pants where if I sit still for too long, I get really bored and agitated and I go on my phone and just miss the main bit where the person dies or whatever. So, yeah, I'm probably the wrong person to ask, but... The rounded point is the early days were probably the best for me in, in the fast franchise, you could say. Yeah. There, there, there surely comes a point in a series of films where you're just like, right, we, we can't have one more. Now, don't get me wrong, maybe nine is that number. I, I, what do I know about Hollywood films? But when they all I mean, when they all gross over a billion billion worldwide, yeah. no, there is no end in sight. <laughs> Fast and Furious 47 will be a cracker. Have you have you seen any of these films, Mark? Absolutely. Not. To, to be honest, Rob, I, okay. I am tempted to start watching them solely so that me and you can have a conversation again. Yeah, you you should, and and I'm going to tell you guys why. Okay, so let let me let me frame this out for you guys if you haven't heard heard some of this previously. So the you know I brought this up a few weeks ago, kind of teased it, but. Um, now I am through Fast 7, okay? And, and I think the context here is very important. Um, when I was, when these movies were initially coming out, um, I immediately rejected any, you know, I had no desire to see any of these movies. They looked like 
just total mouth breathing meathead, uh, you know, <laughs> Dracar Noir smelling, uh, you know, dude, like dude porn, uh, basically. <laughs> and I think the difference is that now once like my wife brought up this idea to me um, a few weeks ago and she she had seen a few of them, but not like not all of them. And she wanted to see Fast 9 in the theater with me. And she said, we should watch all of them in order. We should watch all of them and catch up so we can go see it in the theater and, and know what's going on. Though, you know, to the earlier points, I, I'm not convinced you have to have seen the previous ones to really enjoy any of them independently. But I think it does help on some level. Now, having said that, why at this age, at age 42, have I decided that I wanted to go to see this? Well, you know, again, this is uh, any excuse to go to a movie theater. I'm usually up for it. And I thought this would be an interesting project. And I went into it thinking I will kind of watch this in that sort of, you know, it's so dumb that it's awesome kind of way. And there's certainly an element of that. But let me tell you, I have enjoyed this so much, so much more than I ever thought that I would. Now, let's be clear, guys. These are not, quote, great films, okay? These are movies, and there's a difference if you know what I'm talking about, okay? These were these are experiences that were built for big screens, which I, you know, I've been watching them on a, you know, an okay-sized screen, but certainly not a movie theater screen. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but it, it is, to Adam's point, yes, they have transitioned from movies about street racers, like, in fact, I can kind of point there are three three of the the Fast and Furious movies I've seen so far have to me have direct correlations to movies that you've almost definitely seen. Fast and Furious 1 is the point break of the franchise, okay? It's like, you know, Paul Walker is sort of the Keanu Reeves character who's an undercover cop. He's trying to infiltrate this group of criminals, in, in this case, Vin Diesel and his family, uh, who hijack trucks. It's just like Patrick Swayze and his group of bank robbers, which if you've never seen the original point break, shame on you and go see it now. It's maybe the great, it's, it's a top five film all time for me. Set fast five. Once you get to fast five, you know, Adam, you said that they're all kind of dev devolve into action movies. I mean, that's true, but I would say that they have little twinges and touches that are different. Like fast five is the oceans 11 of the series. It is a total heist film. And while they will sacrifice, there's a, there's probably less of the action in that compared to the other movies. And even though there are some, you know, kick-ass chase scenes, and there's more of just the planning and the, you know, how do we get into this? Like these guys turn from street racers into master criminals over the course of this thing for like somehow ludicrous who's been in most of these movies is apparently some kind of master computer hacker. Like if you've ever seen one of those shows where, you know, the guy says, oh, let me quickly look up the blueprints for the entire city of Liverpool and which lights are working right now, which security cameras are on. Like it's absurd to believe that anyone could do it that quickly and hack a system, but he can't. Suspension of disbelief is very key to this entire watching experience. But Fast 7, which I just completed, which is very heavy because Paul Walker um, tragically died while the movie was being not not during not in the midst of filming the actual movie, but during the period of time that they were filming it. There are very there's that kind of looms over the whole thing. But Fast 7 is by far in terms of what Adam described as just an, an action movie. It's such a pure action movie that like, if any of you have seen tenant uh, where, and again, regardless of how you feel about Christopher Nolan, weird films and not totally understanding what you're seeing. If you saw tenant 
from the start of the film, the action just never stops. They don't take any time to take a breath. Fast 7 is that way. For those of you who watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Fast 7 is the thunder gun of this entire series. It is, for those who do not know, um, It's Always Sunny, it is the Mission Impossible. Everything is a car chase, is a robbery, is dudes punching each other. Uh, it is. Uh, it, it comes with all of the normal Fast and the Furious uh, aesthetics, which include slow motion movements of girl, hot girls and wearing very little clothing, dancing for no reason whatsoever together at a car race. Um, it has got, it, it's absurd. Like the rock in this film, the rock joins this franchise at a certain point and what he lacks, lacks in acting, which is pretty considerable. He makes up for in wild hand and arm gestures with his gigantic guns that he carries with them all the time. He's punching dudes. He's violating constitutional rights, despite the fact that he's a federal agent all the time. Um, it is, as my wife said, hetero camp, like it's campy, but it's for for dudes instead of like camp that you would think of, you know, as, 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 as more traditional, like a John Waters type film, but the, the whole thing. And then, you know, they just never, it never relents. And the action is just always there. And they don't care about laws. They don't care about timelines making sense. They certainly don't care about the laws of physics. Like there, there was literally a scene, and I think in Fast 3, where they're driving through these caves in Mexico or Fast 4, I think. And at one point, uh, Vin Diesel just jumped while they're racing at like 150 miles an hour, hurls himself from his car, which he's driving, by the way, through the glass of the passenger side door of the car he's trying to stop and takes the wheel. I have I have never been more turned on in my entire life than I have been watching these films because it is just it is just such massive muscle action dudeness that you just that is very self-aware. Like that's the thing is that they're aware these guys are aware that these stories are not there to make sense or to be about character development or to have like a ton of really you know, intricate this, this, and that, or, or layers. You're not supposed to learn anything about yourself or about, you know, uh, existentialism or any of that shit. Okay, this is like if um, it's like it's like a it's like if the that MTV old MTV show. And this may be more of an American reference, but like the show Cribs and Pimp My Ride. Um, decided to like get in a room and snort cocaine and have a baby. And that would be what Fast and the Furious is. And if all of this sounds absurd to you, <laughs> you're right. It's so fucking absurd, but that is not a bug. That is a feature. And I can tell you that you will clap. You will laugh uh, both at the intentional and unintentional comedy of the whole thing. Um, you will, you will just have, and yet somehow you will find yourself rooting for these guys. You'll find yourself sucked into these films and they have no right to succeed. And yet they do. And if you want to, and, and just to give you a sense, an even greater sense of how successful these films are, guys, we've gone from having a relatively, you know, B level movie cast 
where Vin Diesel, who really has not done anything but Fast and Furious movies over the years, like you can laugh at him. He's worth $250 million because of these films. Paul Walker was kind of a borderline 90s teenage hunk, you know, star in high school movies. He made a whole career out of this. But now you've got the likes of Kurt Russell and Charlize Theron. And I didn't even mention the greatness of Jason Statham, who absolutely elevates any action film that he's in. All of these elements are there, and that is my soapbox rant about the greatness of Fast and Furious. I can't wait to watch eight. I can't wait to see Fast Nine. Uh, but I just had I, I've been bursting at the seams to um, to share all of that with you. Yes, Mark. Sounds shit. <laughs> it, it it kind of is, but yet it's awesome. I, I like. There's nothing bad you can say about it that I'm like, yeah, it, no, it, it can it can be kind of shitty and bad and unrealistic and whatever, and yet it works and it's fun and it is pure. By the way, pure escapism. Okay, you don't have to think about. <laughs> COVID, you don't have to think about Trump. You don't have to think about, you know, uh, you know, everything happening, uh, you know, with, with, with Boris Johnson or any of that crap, like, you know, all that stuff is just stuff that doesn't matter while you're watching fast and furious. I think my comparison to that, Rob, uh, escaping the madness almost is I've got a, a small addiction to jet washers now. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait, now wait, what is it called? A jet wash. Okay. <laughs> not, like, not, a, not a film called Jet Wash. <laughs> I was going to say, is this a film? Is this a television show, or is no, this so just a? Anyone that knows me will know that, like, I can't like fix anything or build anything or like do anything manly with like tools and stuff. Mm. Um, so I'm very much like shied away from any form of like gardening or like upkeep of my house. I've bought like a new build. I've taken away every, I'm not joking here, every single plant in the back garden. I just ripped down last summer, put it in the bin, and now my garden is just artificial grass and some decking. Uh, and then the other day, my dad came around and said, you need to you need to sort like your garden for summer because it, it looks very bare. There's no wildlife. There's just a couple of the dog's poos on the artificial grass. And that's that's the only time you ever really go outside. So he brought around his, his carcher, <laughs> like his jet wash for me to like, do the deck in and do the patio. Oh my God. I was, is that that like jet? Is that that honestly like, uh, power, a power? We call them power washers. I think you can, it's like a weapon, but it's water, right? I wanted to put like an ACOG scope on it. I was literally <laughs> going around any, anything, anything can be cleaned by that. Anything. I had my trainers outside. I was cleaning them. I had, <laughs> The cushions on the couches, I was cleaning them. The dog, uh, oh, wow. the dog got to go. The desk, <laughs> the patio. I had like underneath, like the window, like ledge is like um, like a different oh. like, material, which was like filthy. Oh, I'll have to send it in. It's like doing like oddly satisfying, where it was like absolutely filthy, and I was doing yeah, it. I, was, I must have been out there. Must have been out there for six hours. My dad went home. I pretended to like put everything back into the shed and then carried on for like another couple of hours. Honestly, right. anyone who doesn't like Fast and the Furious, get into jet washing because it is as <laughs> far-fetched and as fantastic. Oh, mate. Here's me sitting at home watching Tory Sports in the US office and Tony Robbins documentaries and you're out power washing everything in the garden. Dude, what Adam has just described captures the spirit of Fast and the Furious. It's just about it's it's just about saying to yourself, 
I'm going to have an awesome experience and I don't care about the logic behind what I'm shooting or spraying or what have you. Oh, it's just about being awesome. And dude, Adam, I think, I think Adam gets it, Mark. Oh. I think you gotta, I think you gotta drop like once you let go of needing the film to be a, a film and B to be good or somehow, you know, artistically, uh, you know, somehow, you know, a contributive to your life or what have you, once you let go of your bar of expectation and you just let it wash over you, power wash over you or jet wash over you, if you will, and it does jet wash over you. Um, it, it is like the, it is like, it must be the feeling of what, you know, having Jesus dunk you in the river uh, and baptize you on, 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 uh, on, on mescaline and cocaine and heroin all at once. Like it's gotta be like, it is, it is both a spiritual and a physical uh, and an emotional experience. I, I, I just, I don't know how else to describe it, uh, but I can't wait to see it in the theaters. The, I, I, I love what Adam said because I think that he gets it and, and hopefully Mark, you, you'll get it at some point soon so that we can, we can talk about it a little bit more. You don't have to necessarily see them all, but I would challenge you watch the first one and then uh, you can skip. You know what I would say? You can skip too fast, too furious. The second one, it's the worst one of them all. And it really contributes nothing to the further narrative of all the films, but Tokyo drift. Yes. Kick ass. Tokyo drift is definitely worth watching. Next time you're over, we'll all go to Adams and you two fanboys can watch Fast and Furious 27 and I'll just do Adams Garden because gardening is for winners. Um, <laughs> if you want, Adams jet washing is my waiting for my Agapanthus to bloom. Uh, and do you know what, Rob? Nothing thrills me more than <laughs> a, a wonderful blooming summer flower. So you guys can enjoy Fast and Furious, but I'll, I'll just get all, all green-fingered outside and sort out Adam's AstroTurf mess. Hey, Mark, do you think I could? Do you think I would be able to convince Patty to watch Fast and Furious? Oh, man, no. Think, you think he would lower himself to Fast and Furious? No. <laughs> I, 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 do you know when you watch a film and you get the director's cut commentary? I, I would pay yeah. to hear Paddy talk about most things in life, but in particular, uh-huh. Fast and Furious would be an eclectic mix of him sighing and screaming at the TV. Uh, but yeah, I, I would I'd be like, Patty, box office. I'd be like, Patty, think about how much you hate the NFL and let's take it up 10 notches. And that would probably be fast. In the <laughs> oh shit. Y'all. Uh, this has been fucking great. I, I 90 minutes has flown by. Yes. 90 minutes. We always say, Oh, maybe this will be an hour this weekend. And it ends up being 90 minutes, but <laughs> You know, if it wasn't that, if we didn't, if we had uh, time constraints, we wouldn't have heard. Of, I wouldn't have uh, heard about the the sheer ecstasy that Adam gets jet washing and hearing about how somehow gardening makes you that happy, Mark. I mean, I'm happy for right. you, buddy. And, and Fast and the Furious is my new religion, I guess. You know, it would, last season at this time it was James Rodriguez, and now now that I don't yeah. expect anything out of Everton, I think it's just going to be Fast Nine when I can eventually see it, and then of course Fast Ten when it someday comes out. So, well, guys, this has been. Uh, it's been wonderful. Um, we, of course, uh, will be monitoring all the developments of all the things that are going on with Everton, which uh, is certainly con- 
considerable right now. The season hasn't even started and it already feels like we've had three off seasons in one. Uh, but we will uh, certainly uh, at the Blue Room continue to be around. As you know, we had uh, we alluded to before, Matt and I were back with Transfer Pod. We, we're probably going to, now that, that that's kind of kicked into high gear, we'll probably be doing that each week. I think until, you know, as long as there's stuff to talk about uh, through the uh, end of the window, um, of course, we'll continue to, to have kick about and week, you know, the weekly and uh, mailbag and all the other great shows uh, that, that you have come to uh, love and adore uh, for Mark Mosey and Adam Sutton. I'm Rob Vera. We'll see you guys next time for more kick about take care. Northern tool and equipment isn't just a store. It's a problem solvers paradise. Fully stocked with the right professional grade tools and fully staffed with experts who have the right answers. Problem solved. Northern Tool and Equipment Summer Sale is on now. Stop in and save up to 50% on pressure washers, sprayers, generators, fans, lawn and garden equipment, and more. Hundreds of deals in store or at northerntool.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.